Welcome to On the Line. I'm Jenny Robb, and we are back uh, with our segment featuring Frank Giampaolo and his book, uh, The Psychology of Tennis Parenting. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Frank, um, just as an introduction. Uh, so Frank Giampaolo is an award-winning international coach, popular international speaker, and sports researcher. He's an instructional writer for ITF, Coaching and Sports Science Review, the UK Tennis Magazine, PTR Magazine, the USPTA, Tennis Magazine, Tennis Pro Magazine, and Tennis View Magazine. Frank is both a USPTA and PTR award-winning educator, a Tennis Congress faculty member, served as the vice chair of the USTA SCTA Coaches Commission, and a featured speaker at the Australian Grand Slam Coaches Convention, the PTR Great Britain Wimbledon Conference, and Wingate Sports Institute in Israel. Um, there's more, but Frank... <laughs> <laughs> Frank, thank you for being with us. It is certainly uh, a pleasure to have you here, and thank you for taking the time. Uh, so today we're we're going to talk about chapter three. Um, so the title of chapter three is parental dialogue. Um, and so just reading the the chapter name, so many different uh, thoughts came into my head, and it, it just how important this is a massive, massive one here that we're going to dive into. Um, and the quote that, that you started it with is get into their world instead of forcing them into yours. Um, so yeah, I, 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 tell us a little bit about chapter three. <laughs> well, yeah, getting into their world, I think is, is a super important feature that most parents don't really understand yet. And it's based on getting out of the way of the old school, like uh, assembly line type of education that you know, we, we all received, but also um, trying to get out of the world of teaching the same methods that maybe your parents taught you back That's in the day. So getting into their world kind of requires you taking the time to understand their unique personality profile, right? Right. So, um, you know, the way that they think and, and take in information and digest um, the way they problem solve is based on how they're wired. Absolutely. And if you haven't done that yet as parents, it would be really meaningful to go online to personality profiling, right? And the yep. Myers-Briggs type indicator. Yep. And, and take the free quizzes and, and test it out for yourself. And, uh, and those are really kind of enjoyable too. I mean, I've taken the Myers-Briggs multiple yeah. times. I always yeah. come back in ENFJ. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, those profiles are, are fun, actually, to kind of go through. And there are free ones, like you said. So, <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of free ones. And look, some of your kids are really wired to be more, what they call it, sensate or, or maybe intuitives, right? Intuitives want to do things first and then talk about it later. And sensates want all the facts before they make decisions. And that's important for you to know with your kids. Mm -hmm. um, and even like, you know, a judge of personality profile, they... They like to make lists. They like to be organized. And, and that might be you as a parent, but your child might be opposite. There might be a different personality profile, like a perceiver. So the idea is to kind of understand your profile and your children. And you'll have fun with it because, uh, you know, if you have two or three kids, you know already they're wired totally different. Yes. And you're like, how did this happen? 
they're all they're all being nurtured the same, but they're all different. So it's fascinating, right? I mean, I, I find it so fascinating. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and look, they're just gonna you're gonna maximize their potential at a much faster rate if you speak their language and use the dialogue that relates to them. So that's the topic, really. That's it's fantastic. Um, so the the first heading we have is the investment. Um, and it, this is so important. Um, you know, you're, you're, you say parents, you're not paying for tennis. Tennis is just a vehicle. You're paying for opportunities to help develop life skills. The investment is in their physical, mental, and emotional hyper growth. It goes on, but even just starting there, you know, you're not just paying for tennis. So, so tell us a little bit about this idea of tennis being the vehicle. <laughs> well, it's a combination of tennis teaches life skills, but also I think more importantly, it exposes poor life skills. Yes. And yep. so we see some kids that aren't, you know, they're just not disciplined. And, and really what happens in tennis tournaments is if the child has a sloppy home life, they're going to have a sloppy tennis game. That's what we've seen over and over and over. Mm -hmm. um, kids that have great time management and organizational skills, they prepare their equipment, they prepare their mindset, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they're preparing their tennis identity before they even go to practice. And obviously then if they're customizing their practices to their unique needs, they're gonna get better faster. And they're gonna be able to handle things like resiliency and perseverance and courage and you know you guys will treat it in matches a lot of times our kid lose they lose in matches and maybe it's just fear of confrontation it's maybe it's not the follow-through on their backhand that's causing them to lose but it's their ability or inability to overcome fear and courage and things like that so those are all life skills right absolutely absolutely yeah kind of finish this this investment heading by saying you're spending money placing your athlete into challenging situations such as when they want to quit but persist and that just stuck out um in my mind like you were, were saying that how you deal with adversity you know because it's coming it's good there is yeah. going to be adversity There's every match right? kind <laughs> of adversities and so you know the challenging situations um are the instructional situations and and that's when you show really show yourself and um but you can evolve you know yes. and, it, it, and that's the thing it's like knowing yourself and then that uncovers these situations with adversity can uncover things that maybe you didn't realize about yourself and so you know, the, the parents too you know the parents might say oh, I have this mild-mannered great kid and then in a match it's like who is this kid I don't even know who's this kid <laughs> I know it's true <laughs> but I think if this journey is done correctly that the parents and the kids both realize that the parents are growing too. I mean, mm -hmm. we're just really like bigger kids, even though we don't tell our kids that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but everything, yeah, it's it's a matter of growth. And even like somebody's emotional aptitude, just because they have poor choices and poor habits, it's not ingrained. They can right. change that. And their their memory, usually their fear is based on their memory of past poor performances. 
Mm-hmm. But you know, once they can, once they do simple things, they start to change their habits and start to change their own choices. Not only in a match, but before the match, now they start to get better results. So, yeah, there has to be adversity in training. We've talked a little bit about this before because if you aren't yeah. training in an environment that's going to cause this challenge or confrontation or whatever, you have to put it into practice yeah. in, in your training sessions. And then, you know, because if you're just left to competing and you run into something, then people fall apart. Yeah. 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 It is really tennis is just a game of situations and presetting solutions and protocols before they get out there. And, and, you know, I think one of the, the basic ways to look at it is your, your children in tennis clinics, especially now that it's summer, mm-hmm. they should be suffering in tennis clinics. They should mm-hmm. be suffering in practice if they want to be able to suffer in a whole tournament and, and be, you know, not just match tough, but tournament tough and get to the back end of the tournament that requires, you know, a a little bit of suffering. So they have to get used to that. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, you say uh, parents investing in raising an elite tennis player are also investing in superior life skills, such as building discipline, Mm. gaining goal setting, resiliency, and dedication to a craft, learning good sportsmanship, humble in victory, classy in defeat, and instilling strong work ethic. Um, that's a that's a great list. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think so. And uh, that's one of the things that I've been trying to do as a parent and as a coach is uh, work on those skills. But keep in mind, parents, a lot of times coaches might be paid to be fixing your child's serve kick serve or whatever and so they're not teaching all these life skills even though you might think that they are and they think that you're teaching the life skills at home but you're not right and then nobody is so this is part of the parental job description to to go through a good list of life skills yep talk through them and any of these life skills that you feel like your child is a little bit uh lower underdeveloped maybe have them google that term so Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just adaptability. Mm-hmm. And and parents, you know that in tennis, you got to really be adaptable because sometimes you warm up and prepare for a 9 a.m. tournament match. Now, next thing you know, it's 11.15 and you haven't even gone on yet. That's right. And so, boy, you got to adapt with the correct nutrition and hydration and be Absolutely. bringing all that with you. And That's right. Uh, so, yeah, there's a big list of parental job descriptions, I think, that would really help the, the athlete. Yeah, and one of the things from last chapter that that I felt really connected with this um, is th- that parent mentor, a parent finding a parent mentor. Because if you don't know the little nuances going into a tournament like that, and, and if the player's new and the parent is new, and they're like, we didn't know we should have brought extra you know nutrition bars or you know we didn't know that we might need these things to wait and so yeah having like you said in that in chapter two finding a parent that can mentor the parent and Mm. kind of just be a guide is is incredibly helpful (laughs) it it sure is um and, and 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 ask the tournament directors um Mm, ask yeah. them who's been there before in your local 
area and, and I'm sure they'll help. Oh, I, I, yeah. yes, without a doubt. Um, so that leads us to the the second heading that is parental insecurities. And so uh, I think it kind of goes right into that, um, you know, post-match trauma. Yeah, that's a big one. You know, disappointment, frayed nerves, temporary insanity. <laughs> yeah. fear. The fear is inadequacy. And I had to, when I read that, I, I kind of just had to sit back and go, wow, yeah, the, the, the fear of inadequacy. And that's a huge one just in life as well. Um, and so- yes. I, I and just, this is the fear of this is the fear going through the parents' mind right. while their child is competing, right? Um yep. we're talking about how difficult it is to sit and watch your child suffer out there and you can't do a darn thing about it. That's right. It's that's painful. Right. Look, that's it the is. truth. It's not easy. It is not easy. It definitely is not easy. Um, you go on to say our, our insecurities and anger after our child falls short of victory have everything to do with how vulnerable we feel sitting, watching our child going down in flames and not being able to do anything about it. And so, like you said, that just sort of encapsulates that idea that it is hard to sit and watch. <laughs> it is. I think it's important though for parents to understand that at the high levels, if your child is trying to be high performance and maybe playing college ball, mm -hmm. they might play 25, 30 tournaments a year. And look, if they win two or three, that is a great year. Right, right. right? You don't so you know that going in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> parents have to plan on their child is going to lose almost every week. Maybe not first round, but they're going to fall apart. And but then it's our, it's our job to take that as an information gathering mission, right? And parents want to almost have the attitude that they want to thank the opponent for exposing the weaknesses in their own athlete, so now they can work on it, customize their plan, and improve at a faster rate. So if they're exposing your child has no slice backhand, mm -hmm. take notes. Now, I'm not saying it's your job. We'll talk about it, I'm sure, today. But I'm not saying it's your job then to talk to your child about it. But it's your job to maybe text the coach later. Yep. Take some notes and do that. So, yeah. Yep. And, and that communication is invaluable. I mean, and just to have the wisdom and the skill to yeah. evaluate the situation while you're in it. And it's very difficult or it can be very difficult to do that. And so in effect, the parents need that guide guidance. They need training of, because to be able to kind of remove yourself and see the bigger picture of the idea of thanking the opponent for exposing the weaknesses, um, that's, that's, it's an incredible skill. It's not easy. And, and so, yeah. but it's so important. And so that, that leads into, um, admitting that we may be wrong is painful. <laughs> yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is because we're all going to get emotional and tennis does bring that out. It brings out vulnerability, but when parents do things like go to their child's room later on that evening and, and apologize, if they say, I'm sorry that I got upset, you're teaching through modeling, you're teaching that it's okay uh, 
to make mistakes. It's okay to be vulnerable mm-hmm. because we're all going to do it. And if if parents do that, they're modeling a better behavior as opposed to like a narcissistic trait of I'm never wrong. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's a difficult trait. If you're if you're handing that off to your child, mm-hmm. they're going to have a difficult life. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Um, which. Okay, so after a difficult loss, accepting responsibility requires acknowledging that we regret our behavior. So again, that idea of admitting that you're wrong, being vulnerable, you know, taking a a long, hard look in the mirror, you know, whether it's the the parent or the player, you know, you need to take that look in the mirror occasionally. (laughs) I think it's big. I, uh, I think it's important for parents to remember that their words, especially after a match, when the child feels emotional, their words become the child's inner dialogue in the next tournament. So if the parent's saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is broken, this is bad, you screwed up here, all the child is going to remember under pressure is, I'm broken, I'm bad. That's right. That's that's difficult. That's so tough, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, so, so one more here that you say, great tennis parents remove the stigma of apologizing. Mm. That that one too is is pretty profound. You know, the idea again, getting away from I'm always right, and even if I know I'm wrong, I'm still not going to admit it. Yes, <laughs> not right. You know, I might know it, but I don't want to admit it. Um, you know, so so the idea of of taking away that stigma is huge yeah yeah and that's probably more of old school parenting right um when we go back a couple generations even we see that people were tougher and they had to be tougher and they they had to teach people to be tough Mm -hmm. and uh i'm not sure if that's the ways of the world anymore you know right well i think to me it goes into expectations um Mm -hmm. the parent you know whether it's talking with the the player and the coach just the coach or whatever combination but but the idea of what are the expectations for this particular event because if you go into it without it was just like well we hope we win (laughs) you know (laughs) you know so i think being able to define the expectations, um, you know, for the parent, you know, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. 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 I mean, because if you are expecting one thing, but you haven't voiced that to the coach or to the child, you know, that parent might have an expectation that's unrealistic or just unfounded because you just don't know. Um, and so if your expectations aren't aligned, uh, things kind of fall apart. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, look, some some parents just totally feel that my kid came out of my great unique gene pool and I played, you know, college basketball. So they're going to be great. Well, it's really not how it works. And you're out of the money with speculations and expectations. And there are other parents that maybe have their kids go to you know, three or four hours of of camp, but it's not really high quality, high performance training. It's just a lot of quantity and socialization. And then they think they expect their kids going to win the next tournament. And it's not even close to reality. Right. 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 
So yeah, like you said, it, it the reality and the expectations, if they're not all in alignment, then then it's going to be a difficult day. And like you said, we talked about it last time, having training with plan B or plan C or, you know, so, so if you are ready and so that goes into what do you expect? Well, I'm, I'm expecting that I'm going to, as the parent watching the kid, they go, okay, we've been working on this. I know you know, the coach spent a little extra time on this. And so I expect this and, you know, like we've said before in an open sport, that's much more difficult because a closed sport is like, you know, who wins the race? Well, who runs the fastest? I mean, I know there's a little more to it, (laughs) but but the open sport, you know, expectations are different. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And then parents that are just listening to this one, um open sports or sports like soccer and basketball and tennis where you have to make millisecond decisions change directions change plans um you you have to be a little bit flexible and adaptable in an open sport Mm -hmm. and closed sports maybe would be like figure skating gymnastics maybe where you do the exact routine in the exact order right and and that's a little bit different with your brain functions and um, but what should be expectations? In, in my opinion, it should be based on data, like, you know, quantifying the data. And it could be very simple, like even a parent that doesn't know a lot about tennis can do some charting. They can just take notes on their phone, like every time the child right. gets a first serve in or misses a first serve, they just make a little check mark on their phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now they're 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 putting in first serve percentages. And if the athlete's making, you know, 40% first serves in, now we have an expectation for the next tournament. We're saying, look, let's see if we can get that to 50%. If you can get your first serve percentage to 50%, you win. That's all you have to try to do this next tournament is hit this performance goal and and we're great. Is because that means they're growing and they're improving. That's right. That's right. Definitely. so parents match play observations delivered to an athlete right after the competition creates a love of competition or distaste for competition. And so again, with the modeling idea that we've talked about, and then, you know, training for expectations that are realistic and the goal setting, you know, all these things kind of swirling around and we go, okay, are you nurturing a love of the battle, you know, are you nurturing a love yeah. of competition um, or, or is it a distasteful thing and the kid doesn't want to do it anymore? You know, I mean, how many times do we see a kid, you know, play some tennis, thinks they're doing pretty good, you know, lose <laughs> both rounds and you're out and you go, your parents, parents are going, is this what we ought to be doing? Is this, <laughs> you know are we go are we getting anywhere here like (laughs) yeah I think that's yeah go ahead well that's why it's so important I think that the parents are educated about their job descriptions and there is a team synergy or a team harmony between the on-court tennis coaches and and then maybe being the the off-court trainers and Mm -hmm. but the the athlete especially if you have a teenager a young teen they really should be accountable for the idea of after every match, they have to grab their phone and write three things they did well, three mm-hmm. things they want to improve, 
And then the next match, do three and three. Next match, three and three. At the end of the tournament, they have to text this in a group text to their trainers and coaches and parents. And so everybody on the team knows what they need to work on. Right, right. And that brings up an interesting point as well as far as uh, the charting, which which I love it. And, and you you have fantastic charts that we, we'll talk about another time. But uh, <laughs> talking about the three things you did well, you know, that the kid in their mind, you know, the three and three, I think that also applies to how a parent should be charting the match. How about instead of missed another backhand in the net, missed another backhand in the net, what if you train the parent to see the good thing? Like if you say, oh, you know, the the coach and, and my child have been working on, you know, recognizing that short ball moving forward, you know, and so training a parent's eye that might not really know what that looks like. But, you know, in practice, the coach can talk to the parent and be like, here, look at this. This is what we're talking about, you know. And so then charting is looking for positive things as well, instead of just, you know, you double faulted four times or whatever. But I think if the kid is evaluating some good and some areas that need help, you know, that have been uncovered, I think you know, it could go towards the the parents' idea of watching how to watch a match. Yeah, um, right on. You know, I mean, so so teaching the the parent to see the good things that are more maybe not quite as easy to see as a miss in the net. You know, yeah, you yeah. Go, oh, you double faulted. But what about if you've been working on attacking that short ball, going in, whatever the play might be, and then you see it, even if it doesn't win the point, it could still be the parent recognizing that the child was doing the game plan or trying to implement what they'd been working on. And so for the parent to be able to see that, I think is is an incredible skill that, that mm. doesn't get enough attention because you might, like my mom, you know, through all the tennis that I played, she's fantastic, but she wouldn't know how to keep score. Like you know, <laughs> if she watches me, she, she doesn't know all yeah. that stuff and, and maybe it's better that way. <laughs> but I think it's, 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 it's important to, how do you approach the match? How, wh- what are you seeing? What are you actually seeing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it sure is customized, it. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's hard sometimes, um, it's hard to, for coaches to coach because yeah. they don't see what's going on in tournaments. And it's a weird sport, right? I think we probably talked about it, but in, in football, baseball, basketball, the coaches are coaching during the games, right? In right. tennis, the coaches coach all week and then the, the parents are the weekend coaches. So there's, there's right. definitely a disconnect. And I love the idea that you're talking about exposure or avoidance i mean if we're trying to get the kids to attack short balls more even if they miss volleys or swing volleys or overheads that's a good thing because they're getting exposure that's right instead of avoiding it the worst thing would be avoiding it right yes yes definitely you know and and that's such an important point i mean you know for so long you know we talk about this forever but you know if a, a a athlete gets very comfortable just staying at the baseline and so they go play a match even if they win the match and behaved you know like a great sportsman 
if they didn't try to go go into the net if that's you know in the same scenario then it might be difficult for the parent because their child just won even though the kid didn't try to go in at all they just were happy to sit back and hit ground straight so how how do you go I'm glad you won this match you did a great job you were very consistent but I never saw you try to come to the net you know I mean or, or just just how to look at a match there's so yeah. many ways to watch a match I mean if if I watch per se uh cricket <laughs> I wouldn't have no idea what was going on <laughs> you know I mean yeah and somebody else watching will see something completely on a different level than me watching cricket because I have no idea <laughs> what well, I'm even looking at <laughs> that's another side that might be a disconnect too is what you're talking about is the the parental tennis history and what do they know about the game and but if they are trying to raise a you know even if a college player almost a world-class tennis player I mean if they're going to play d1 college right Mm -hmm. they have to be great because their rivals for that team the slotland team are all the international players that are top in the itf they're they're top in the world that's who's getting all the college scholarships. Right. So parents have to be involved. And it's meaningful, I think, that if parents want to be hobbyists and not really be involved, that's fine. But they shouldn't expect their athletes to be high performance. They should only expect, you know, hobbyists. So. Right. Right. That's important. Yeah. But yeah, that's a whole conversation, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> how to chart and what to chart. And I, got, I love charting. So I got off on a little bit of a tangent there. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you say uh, uh, your words become your child's inner dialogue. Mm. And that's so true and so important because, you know, you do hear the voices in your head. <laughs> they they are there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they become the athlete's dark passenger, right? Sometimes the battle, it's not even the opponent that wins the match against your child. It's just that your child can't handle their own fear and nervousness. And sometimes that does stem from the parents. Um, not always. We don't want to give the parents all the, the bad rap for that. But um. So this is, you know, how how we decide to to talk to our athletes and what we decide to talk about, which basically is more solutions versus problems, right? right. Turn not to be problem oriented because we want our kids to be wonderful problem solvers in the middle of a match. Right. Problem solvers just automatically go to the solution. They don't whine about the problems and yell and scream about the problems. You know, they they're just solution oriented, and that. Mm-hmm. That also involves understanding that a large part of the match, maybe even 75% of the match is in between points. So that's not even the athlete's hardware. It's not the strokes and athleticism. Right. That's done quickly. That's like three or four seconds. That's done. Now they're right. in 20 seconds of software, right? Of mental and emotional. There's way more time in mental and emotional. Um, you know what, Frank? I have no, I've, have never thought of it that way I'm a little I'm a little embarrassed but that is yeah I mean points are so short I mean we know this we know you have you know the time between points and the time between games or between sets and there is more time spent 
in your mental and emotional space. That's, um, that's really, that's a really important thing to, to realize. Um, yeah, and practice, right? I mean, when, yeah. when the athletes are practicing, they should be practicing things like I'm in a hitting phase. Now I'm in a thinking phase. Now I'm back in the hitting phase. Now I'm back in the thinking. Part of the thinking is not letting your emotions override and hijack you. So mm -hmm. mental and emotional, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's just stepping into the thinking phase and stepping back into the playing phase. And I don't think a lot of junior athletes think of it like that. Yeah. I, 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 I have to agree. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that that is said that way very often, you know, but that it, mm. it does come to mind and I can't remember when it was, but it was, um, I was watching a, a grand slam. I, I can't remember just a few years ago or what, but it had been one of those, Oh, it was the Australian open. I remember one of those really long five set matches. It, it was what probably Djokovic and Nadal yeah it was and I remember during the ceremony somebody actually brought them out chairs because it was going so long and they'd been on the court <laughs> so long but the 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 point of the story is one of the commentators made uh reference to yes this was like five hours longer however it was but then there was a there was a statistic of during that five hours you know that they're out there for this match they actually only were in action physical action for like 45 minutes <laughs> you know that that's that's not that is not the right time so well just, no good it's a good point though and yeah. <laughs> way back in the day and this is going to make me seem super old but this is even back in the early 90s when i used to um be the director at Vic Braden Tennis College is we, we would do even stopwatches if you we didn't have it on the phones back then but right sometimes it'd be 80 percent of the match is not even the ball in play wow and so the funny way to think about it is when the player walks up to the line to serve the point mm -hmm. is almost over hmm. that's how quick it is yeah so, wow I mean, that, that is that is so interesting <laughs> um it goes back. So I love how in this part, um, you go on to say, if your post-performance banter is repeatedly, you're not good enough. And, and so I, I think mm -hmm. so we're talking about what the parent is saying, what the athlete is hearing in their mind, but maybe that fear is connected to the parent's fear of inadequacy, like we talked about a minute ago. So is there a fear of inadequacy in the parent that then goes on to the child like you're not good enough you know I mean so it's kind of yeah. there um so that skill building for both the athlete and the parent there um you know again that that fear of, of inadequacy I think that's just a, a really huge point um, it, I, I think it's important though too to note that it's usually not the words that are wrong from the parent. It's usually their tone of voice and their body language that stops the athlete from listening. They right. hear the negative, angry tone and boom, they're done listening to you. That's right. So that's, so that's why we talk about it's best maybe if the parents, they can get it off their chest. They just text all their notes and information. And then later on that night, after you proofread it, send it to the coach. So here's what I observed with my child's play. 
but that also goes hand in hand with don't call the coach or text the coach 50 times on Sunday after every game because you're upset and unless you're going to pay the coach for that time because right. that's not fair for the coach. Right. Right. And that's a very tricky line. You know, yeah. you know that boundary is very very gray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right on. Um, you know, I, this this one also really spoke to me um you say parents unknowingly destroy the inner belief needed by their junior athletes. And that is such a powerful statement, you know, because parents, most parents, I would say that is not what they want to do. (laughs) You know, you want to nurture your athlete, you know, so you might have the best of intentions and you might not realize that you're destroying belief i'm like oh gosh and it's not even with we're not even talking about only your words it could have it could be just facial expressions and yep. your child might go in and take a swing volley and and hit it long and instantly you know they look over at you that's right and if you're shaking your head in disgust they're not going to go into the <laughs> net anymore right right they want to please their parents right they want to yes do they want the harmony so yeah yep. it's tough to do right you got to be pretty stoic when you're a tennis parent out there yes yes gosh and that that's hard for some of us um so i love this one too to finish um all they need to hear from you is how much you love to watch them play and how proud you are of them and that seems like a simple thing that that should be easy to do you know, when you hear it and we talk about it, you're like, well, yeah, of course, you know, but really, you know, if, if you don't know, you know, what, like going back to the role, you know, the role of the coach is different, you know, but the parent just being able to say, I love to watch you play. I'm proud of you. For yeah. whatever, you, you know, if you have a child say that is being cheated, and but they don't want to do anything about it, you know, to the point that like my niece, when I was traveling around with her, um, she would play out balls. Yeah. You know, oh. And and I'd go, you know, you know, you know that it was in or out, right? Or do you, or you know, I'm not sure. And and she's like, Well, yeah, but I didn't want, you know, it was close. I didn't want her to think I was cheating. And I'm going, oh my gosh. Yeah, so we had to work on calling the ball out and then I could go win or lose the match. That's something that I can go, I'm really proud of you. You, you, you didn't play as many out balls. You did do a better job, you know? So, so it's just, yeah, they have to be able to put that spin on it. And sometimes it is like, um, psychology, like you're doing reverse psychology, right? right. And, And and you're right. There's a lot of examples. If I'm proud of you for trying to go in more of this match, I'm proud of you for attempting your kick serve on a second serve. Right. And right. <laughs> take the negative, and you got to spin it to positive before it comes out of your mouth. Right. If right. you're a parent that's really, you know, interested in the best for their children, some some parents are a little bit tougher, and they do expect the kids to do it their way, and that's fine too. That's their prerogative, right? I have a um I have a dear friend uh whose name is also Jenny. Um she played for the University of Alabama, you know, phenomenal player, had two kids, one of her boys um was very competitive and probably could have played 
college tennis, but opted uh, not to ultimately. Um, and I remember that my friend Jenny, she would get so worked up during matches that she wasn't in, enjoying herself. And it was so hard for her because she could see some of the things in a match that, that a parent that hadn't gone through that experience of, of playing up to that level. And I remember when she watched her son play his last match in juniors and he was still sort of wavering on, do I want to play in college? Do I want to just go to wherever and not play? Um, and so she didn't realize that that match was the last match that she would watch her son play. Mm. And I remember she called me just in tears and she was like, I, I, I wasted so much time. I, 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 and now it's just over. She's like, I can't believe, you know, it's like, you want, you want it back. And so I've, I've, yeah. I've yeah. actually had her kind of share her story as a mentor uh, for other parents. I, I just never thought about that, that I did that. Um, That's good. And she would tell, she would tell her story. She'd be like, I would get so worked up that I, I, I had a hard time enjoying watching him play and it was so stressful. And, and, and then when you realize, uh-oh, now it's gone and you go, I can't believe, I can't believe that's the last match yeah. that I'm watching the kid play. And you go, what, what did, what happened here? <laughs> yeah. It, it does go deeper too than tennis matches and tournaments. Like I, when I go back and I, and I, I just had dinner with a, with a player that was, that did some pro tennis and played for mm -hmm. Harvard. And all we talked about was how we went through the underground part of the pyramids in Egypt when he played in Cairo oh, or wow. in Mexico, how we went into an underground river or in Florida, how we found an alligator in the Everglades. And so doing something you know, indigenous to the region, doing something other than tennis right. is really meaningful because 10 years later, you guys are going to be laughing hysterically about where tennis took you because it's crazy the cities and the <laughs> the places tennis can take you. you know, the, so, that is so, so on point. Um, and do it. Do all the fun things too. Yes. Don't just sit in a hotel, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah, my, my niece... Um, she lives in Denver now, but uh, she visited um, not too long ago, and we just got to talking and reminiscing about some old tennis stuff, and I'll, I'll make this quick, but she was, I think, 12 or 13, and we had driven from here in Birmingham uh, to Little Rock um, to play at this at this really nice club there and so I'm you know on a mission I'm like okay we got to get there we got to pick up the tournament packet we got to check in I don't really know where I'm going and you know and so you know we get there and uh, she and I are walking across the parking lot to to go in the club to to check in and um, I guess we didn't look too uh, <laughs> scary because I did, you know, it's like, you can't see the forest for the trees. Like I'm just on this mission to walk into the club. And then I hear this laugh and I'm like, how, 
why does that laugh sound familiar? And we had walked right in front of Bill Clinton and he was sitting in a golf cart. And then you look up and I see all these black armored SUVs. It's like, oh, no. I, hadn't even, I hadn't even seen, I wasn't yeah. even read, like, I'm just going in. Yeah. And so, and so it's like stories like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, we went and, and we walked right in. <laughs> you were tunnel vision, weren't you? <laughs> Yeah, we just walked right in front of Bill Clinton. It was hysterical. Um, it said we we must not have looked too scary. The the Secret Service didn't take us out. <laughs> no, they didn't. Yeah, like you said, it's those fun things. It's the fun yeah. things. Yeah. And you know that that leads into um, your next point here, where where it's always and never. Oh and, yeah. And this one this one is huge because even even in life, right? You know, if if you're talking to your spouse you know and it's like you you know you never do this or you always you always do that you know a, a negative and always those exaggerations you say open a floodgate of negative emotions um that's so true it's just so true and so again to be careful with your words and yeah. a little more particular than throwing out that exaggeration and uh, this applies to coaches too, doesn't it? That yes. sometimes they're coaching and they should be specifying that in this situation, um, never hit a drop shot. Well, if you're, you know, 10 feet behind the baseline, but <laughs> instead of saying, don't, don't ever hit a drop shot because now the athlete might misinterpret. And so, yeah, try not to use those terms. It, it, it makes it very confusing, but mm -hmm. also it makes athletes very defensive. Yes. They start thinking about, how that's that might be a lie and so they're not listening to the message you're trying to give they just they're caught on i don't always do that or so i think right. that's meaningful uh, uh try to give your well parents just try to say things like if you're going to talk to your child about their tennis say these are my observations um when you want to talk, let me know. We can chat about my observations or or maybe you should try to consider this. Um, give the baton to the athlete. That's right. Let them be the person that's accountable, that's the problem solver. How would you solve that problem? What would you do next? If you were coaching somebody like one of your friends, what would you have told them to do? These are the type of questions that I like to ask. And um, that's why I say it, it's, it's big. Also, we talk about asking. Don't tell them what to do. Ask them what they think they should do, right? Because now all of a sudden, their brain starts to problem solve. And that's the more they problem solve, the better they get at it. Absolutely. And that that just is a beautiful segue into to the next uh, point here where you say, you know, correct conversations. And so that's... Uh, directly there and so you say it's a, it's the parental role to create accountable young adults solve their own problems nurture them to apply solution-based dialogue to increase confidence and resiliency and that's just beautifully said that's so uh, beautiful <laughs> thank you um yeah that's that's um important for me too almost on a daily basis and it's not easy though to no, no. use the always and nevers and the ask don't tell but yeah you know you say these conversations should be based on the performance needed not yeah the yeah you know, so it's like winning is a thing but it's not the only thing <laughs> 
know, that's important. And, and I think it's important for parents to note that your child can win all the time. If you just put them in lower matches, if they're playing against somebody that's not that good, they might even do a lot of their performance goals incorrectly. They might be performing right. poorly, but they still win. Right. Yep. Right. Or on yep. the other hand, maybe they're playing somebody, maybe a UTR a couple numbers above them, and they go seven five seven six, and they played the best match of their life performance-wise. They still barely lose, but they hit their performance goals. Right. And that's they're, why we say performance goals are better than outcome goals, right? Absolutely. And that's so applicable to many other things as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So next we have the psychology of listening. And I love this because um, I think we could all do better to learn to be better listeners. And it's so important. So yeah, the psychology of listening. So you say communication styles, whether it's passive, aggressive, passive, aggressive, or dominating. Um, it's important to understand that if your style isn't working, change your communication system to fit your listener. So that's that's really interesting. I kind of had to sit and think about that for, for a minute. So so take us through where this, this idea of the psychology of listening. Um, well, if... Uh... If you're saying the same thing to the athlete over and over and over, you're getting no results. It's your fault, not their fault. You're not finding the correct door inside the athlete. You're, you're, you're repeatedly doing something that's not working over and over again, and that's not productive. Right. So finding a different way in. Um, most of the time, the best way inside your child to get them to think is, is ask questions mm -hmm. and that's part of that ask don't tell um when you're when you're communicating and when you ask then you have to listen right because that comes next and it, <laughs> right and so i think that's important so instead of listen to me young man or <laughs> instead of that angle we have to go the other way <laughs> yep and so that that brings us to the uh final one that we've already uh mentioned a few times the ask don't tell so our, our last mm -hmm. okay um and you say extrinsic motiv motivation you know often a reward or punishment and that's temporary the only lasting force is self-motivation which is intrinsic motivation and and that's it that's a huge one um i mean there was a a player that I worked with for a while she was just an absolutely adorable young lady and her dad would say all right if you win this match I'm gonna get you the dog you've been wanting and it's like wait wait wait. I mean that's nice and all but <laughs> the kid wanted this dog so badly and you know so then the dad's like you win this match it's yeah you know, and it's like, ah! yeah. <laughs> so, so that, that so it should be based on performance goals, right? If, yes. if you play three, three matches and tournaments in a row and, and you hit these goals, whatever the goals might be that you guys can create together as a team with the, with the coach, right? You put together your two or three performance goals. Like you said, it could just be attacking short balls. If you attack, if you go to the net five times in a match, even if you don't win, you do that three times and maybe you get your puppy, but right. yeah, performance <laughs> goals and trying to really um, 
get to the point where the athlete is solving their own problems, right? right. It's, it's, whether it's match awareness or you're talking right. about the elements that day, like it's windy or it's cold or, or prep, prepping for a match, whether it's not hanging out with the kids before the match, but they're actually sitting in the car alone, visualizing their right. patterns of play. Yep. becoming a, a warrior like a Rafael Nadal would be morphing into a warrior that's all awareness and those yep. are the topics we can talk about instead of the outcome that's right that's all right a hundred a hundred percent you know and then you know the so we've talked about the reward kind of and uh you know punishment is another big one um one of the worst I've, I've seen this is years ago now but the father of this uh young boy I think we were it was Southern Cup or it was a big like team event for for Team Alabama playing you know Southern Cup it's kind of a big deal and when the kid lost the dad took his tennis bag and put it in the trash and then left and left <laughs> left the kid at the site yeah and bag and put it in the trash you yeah know, what what is going on here like <laughs> i know it's 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 so hard there, there are some <laughs> horrific stories like that i i know the beauty is that most parents are, are terrific and they want to learn and look at for parents and if you and i think it's meaningful share these type of podcasts and and maybe when you're taking your child to tournaments or maybe when you're sitting in the car during their tennis lessons mm -hmm. just that's the time you can sit down and listen to these things you know right that's right you know i love uh says please ensure you motivate your athletes by praising their leadership and letting them know their organizational work is making a difference that's that's so you know the auto, the autonomy you know the ownership yeah that that just kind of brings brings this whole chapter together um you know that just the motivation the, the the encouragement again yeah i love the word encouragement um so so yeah the, the ask don't tell and that's kind of i i, I kind of um think of like a wellness check um you know if you <laughs> are concerned about a neighbor or a parent, or if you're concerned, you can call the cops and do a wellness check. And so taking that and, and twisting it into this, you know, if you are a parent that this has been trying to not just negative feedback when they get in the car after the match, or, you know, if you've really, if the parent has really been making an effort to, I'm not going to you know, give you this unsolicited advice, <laughs> you know, yeah. so in, in an effort to not do some of those bad habits, you know, it, it, it just, it can, it can backfire a little bit. And so if you're not talking, <laughs> so you're not advising that unsolicited advice, but the kid isn't saying much, then there's a disconnect again. And so yeah. I, I kind of think occasionally, for a parent and a coach just, and it wouldn't even have to be after practice. It could be in the car on the way to school or grocery store or wherever, and just kind of do like a wellness check and be like, Hey, you know, how, how are things going? You know, just, just to, to, how, how are things going? And that doesn't necessarily mean, 
you know, are you getting that backhand slice or just a wellness check? Yeah. Like, where are you? Like, yeah. how are you feeling about your game? You know, how are you yeah. feeling about this? And so this whole idea of ask, don't tell and, and kind of like a, a wellness check. It's like, it's like, okay, you've gotten hands off, but yeah. it's really important to just check in with the kid, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean know, even if parents Google, yeah. just Google the questions you should be asking your children. And um, there are tons of parental sites that talk about this topic and you're right on the money. You're, you're right on that level where we want to talk about things like, how do you feel about your tennis? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? What, what do you want to play? What tournaments do you want to play? Right. What do right. you think you should be doing this summer? And so that's all just all about mm-hmm. getting into their world and teaching them how to communicate. Because a lot of kids nowadays, as you know, they're on their cell phones all the time right. and oh. they only want to communicate through text messages. Right, right. Yeah. So, so I just, I love ending this chapter with the ask, don't tell. No, that's good. And, and that's kind good. of just this idea of a, of a wellness check. You know, how are yeah. So you're helping them solve their own problems. You're helping them self-advocate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you like this chapter because I actually like the next chapter even better, chapter four. Ah, well, I'm excited. Like I said, I don't read ahead. So so right. I, I'll have to, you know, read and, and do my Wait notes to you. think a little bit. So I'm excited. I'm very excited then. But um, Frank, thank you. I think this was a really good one. Um, and uh, until next time, I, yes. I hope you you enjoy your time out there. You're in, are you traveling much now? No, I know you were in Florida recently, but you're back in California. I'm back in California now for about two weeks, so that's okay. it's wonderful to be home. So I'm gonna hang out with my golden retriever today. Yes, that is wonderful. all right. That is wonderful. Thank, thank you, listeners. For, thank thanks you, to thank all your you. listeners. Yeah, you guys, and remember, you can always um, email, uh, get in touch with us if if you need to. I'll I'll put um the the information on the screen if you need to contact us we're, we're happy to um happy to help out if we can yeah so, yeah so. we do consultations all the time so yep yeah well frank thank you thank you i said okay. thank you. a good one bye <laughs> okay bye <laughs>